بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد فان احسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وان شر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار uh, so we continue with our series of uh, lectures based upon uh, short lectures given by Sheikh Ubaid Al-Jabri hafizahullah ta'ala and so today's topic is an explanation from the Sheikh on the hadith of the messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam which is related uh, by Abdullah bin Amr and the text of the hadith is as follows that the messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam he said innahu lam yakun nabiyyun qabli illa kana haqqan alayhi an yadulla ummatahu ala khayri ma ya'lamuhu lahum وينذرهم شر ما يعلمه لهم وان امتكم هذه جعل افيتها في اولها وسيصيب وسيصيب اخرها بلاء وامور تنكرونها so the text of the hadith is as follows indeed there was never a prophet there was never a prophet before me except that it was a duty upon him to direct his ummah to whatever good he knew for them and to warn them from whatever evil he knew for them and indeed this nation this ummah its well-being or its goodness has been placed at the beginning part of it at the first part of it and the last part of it shall be afflicted with a tribulation and with affairs that you will reject that you will not like that you will reject so this is the hadith the sheikh's lecture is built around this particular hadith and uh, the sheikh begins by saying fi hadha al hadith fawaid azima within this hadith there are mighty benefits and no muslim man or woman is able to be to you know to do without these benefits every muslim man or woman is in need of what this hadith contains of benefits and likewise these benefits should be distributed and spread amongst the people by the people of knowledge and by the callers to allah those who call to allah upon basira upon insight and the sheikh goes on to say that a caller to allah who is sincere he is nasih he is al-amin he's also trustworthy and who is al-kayyis who is al-fatan al-haris meaning someone who is shrewd and intelligent these are all the befitting traits and qualities of a da'iyah someone who is 
a call to Allah. It's not sufficient that you just be sincere, but you know you are not trustworthy. Nor is it enough that you are trustworthy and upright, but you are not sincere. You are not calling to Allah for the sake of Allah. Likewise, you must be shrewd and astute. These are the traits and qualities of one who calls to Allah upon basira, upon insight, upon knowledge. And so he says that such callers to Allah who, who are nasih, al-ameen, al-qais, al-fatan, al-haris, that it is upon them to explain to the Muslim nation uh, such understanding of the religion uh, that they are in need of. And he must combine between two things in this regard. There must be two things he must combine. The Sheikh says the first thing that he must bring is to explain to the people or direct them to that which is the most beneficial and the most rectifying. That's something that you start with. And to warn them from that which is most evil or most harmful upon them, which is calamitous upon them, which brings them harm, both in this life and the next. And what is the greatest thing, the Shaykh says, that the prophets and the messengers, they directed the people to, from the time of Nuh salam, right until the time of Muhammad sallallahu who is the seal, who is the seal of the prophets and messengers. The affair is tawheed. It is singling out Allah Azza wa Jal with worship. And on this point, the Shaykh says, their word is in unity. Their word is united. And all of the messengerships that Allah sent over time, they are all uh, successively in succession. They are based upon this very word, meaning this issue of Tawheed. Then the Shaykh mentioned some verses from ayat in the Quran that we, that we are familiar with. From them is the statement of Allah Zawajal in Surah Al-Anbiya, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ قَبْلِكَ مِنْ رَسُولٍ إِلَّا نُوحِي إِلَيْهِ أَنَّهُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا أَنَا فَاعْبُدُونَ We sent not before you any messenger except that we revealed to him or inspired to him that there is none which has the right to be worshipped except I, so worship me alone. And also the verse in Surah Al-Nahl, وَلَقَدْ بَعَثْنَا فِي كُلِّ أُمَّةِ الرَّسُولَ أَنْ يَعْبُدُوا اللَّهَ وَاجْتَنِبُوا التَّاغُوتِ We have indeed sent in every nation a messenger with this call that you should worship Allah and shun false deities. So the Shaykh says that this particular hadith that you heard at the beginning and all the other hadiths which are similar in meaning there are other hadiths which are similar in meaning. <coughs> to give you an example, there's the hadith of Anas bin Malik, radiyallahu anhu. This hadith of Anas bin Malik, <coughs> what happened is, because Anas bin Malik, radiyallahu anhu, lived for a very long time, till 90 after Hijrah, he saw many, many trials and tribulations. <clears throat> and from those trials and tribulations was the trial of Al-Hajjaj bin Yusuf Thaqafi. And 
he was a, a ruler who was uh, tyrannical and some people came to him in order to complain about the hardships and the difficulties <coughs> so he said to them isbiru isbiru be patient for indeed uh, there is no time that shall come upon you فَإِنَّهُ لَا يَأْتِي عَلِيكُمْ زَمَانٌ إِلَّا وَالَّذِي بَعْدَهُ شَرٌ مِنْهُ حَتَّى تُلْقُوا رَبَّكُمْ Be patient, for indeed there will come no time except that the time after it will be more evil until you meet your Lord. <coughs> so this means that in general, as time passes on, the evil, the, the calamities, the hardship, the difficulties, they will increase. They will get worse and worse and worse. And this is a continuous, continuous affair up until we meet our Lord. So again, this, this hadith is similar in meaning to the hadith that Sheikh Obeid mentioned. There are numerous hadith in this regard, in fact. So the Sheikh says that this hadith and whatever has its meaning is very very clear and explicit and, and apparent that the religion is founded upon two affairs the religion of islam its principle is based upon two affairs the first affair the sheikh says ad-da'wah ila ibadatillahi wahdahu it is to it is calling people to single out allah in worship alone and to be eager upon that and to show loyalty on the basis of this, meaning on the basis of this da'wah, and to declare to be a disbeliever, the one who abandons this tawheed. This is the first principle of this religion, calling to tawheed and showing loyalty on the basis of tawheed, and making takfir of the one whom Allah and his messenger have made takfir of. Those who abandon Tawheed. And the second affair which goes hand in hand is At-Tahdhir min al-Shirk fi ibadatillahi wahdahu. Which is to warn the people from shirk in the worship of Allah alone. Wat-Taghlid fi thalik. And to be stern with respect to that because it is a serious, serious affair. And وَالْمُعَادَاتِ uh, فِيهِ And to show enmity and, and you know, disloyalty on the basis of that وَالتَّكْفِيرُ مَنْ فَعَلَهُ And to declare to be a disbeliever, the one who did it. Because Allah and His Messenger have declared to be, you know, a, a kafir, the one who falls into it. So as you can see, we can summarize the entire religion into these two things and everything comes under Tawheed or Shirk. So as far as Tawheed is concerned, all of the, uh, after the Kalima La Ilaha Illallah, you have then the other rites that follow on from Tawheed, such as the prayer, fasting, Hajj, you know, uh, you know all, all of the major affairs of worship and then all of the, whether what is wajib or mustahab, that all enters into the rites that follow on from Tawheed. So that encompasses all of the religion. And similarly, the affair of shirk, as uh, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah explained, that 
all disobedience, all sins, they are a branch of shirk. They are from the furu' of shirk. So you have shirk, which is the major shirk, which expels you from the fold of Islam, you know, which is to prostrate to other than Allah, to invoke for relief and rescue uh, other than Allah, and, you know, things which are, which are clearly shirk and worship of other than Allah. So these are very clear and explicit. These are very clear. And then there are those affairs which do not reach the level of major shirk. They are minor shirk. They are avenues to major shirk. And so these are things like arriya. These are things to do with uh, the intentions and motives and certain statements, you know, in speech that you make, which, which comprise minor shirk. And then there are the acts of disobedience, the sins and the disobedience. And they, as Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah explained, they are from the furu'ah. They are from the branches of shirk. Because a person, by uh, obeying his soul in obedience to shaitan, then he is, in a way, he, uh, he is you know, giving someone a share of the obedience which is due only to Allah Azzawajal. So he's uh, committing shirk in that sense, although this is not the shirk which expels you from the fold of Islam. Right? To commit a sin, which is disobedience, it's from the, as we said, branches, the furu'ah of, of shirk. It is not the shirk that expels from the fold of Islam. But nevertheless, all sins and all disobedience come under uh, the, 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 you know, uh, from the furu'ah of shirk. So therefore, the religion, all of the religion, we can basically summarize, as the Sheikh has presented here, in two principles. It is calling to Tawheed and warning from Shirk. And under Tawheed comes all of those affairs, the affairs of worship, obedience, what is wajib, what is mustahab. And under Shirk comes all of the other affairs. Uh, whether it expels you from the religion or whether it is just merely sin and disobedience. So the Sheikh says that any person who is a caller, the one who calls to Allah, and he calls people to Allah on the basis of these principles, meaning this is what his call is based upon. These are the foundations of his call. This is what he goes out you know, to, to the people. And his entire call is established on these two things. Then such a one is, uh, the Sheikh says, فَهُوَ دَعِيَةٌ بَصِيرٌ He is an insightful caller. And his call is upon basira. It is upon insight and knowledge. And as for, for the one who is upon other than, the, than these two affairs, then he can only be one of two men. So meaning... The caller, the person who now makes his call, his da'wah, to be other than, you know, based upon these two principles, then he can only be one of two people. Either imma jahil, either he's an ignoramus, he's ignorant, he does not understand the call of the Prophet Muhammad wasallam, and those who came before him of the prophets and messengers. So either it is ignorance, meaning he's ignorant of what the messenger built his call upon. Or, وَإِمَّا صَاهِبُ hawa مُبْتَدِعْ Or it is a person of desires, meaning he, he has swerved and deviated from the truth and he is following 
his desires, leaving the truth and following his desires. And he is an innovator, one who is misguided. And he wants to mislead the people. He wants to you know, turn them away from that which Allah created them for and upon which he commanded them. And instead he wants to turn these people towards a shirk, wal-bid'ah, shirk innovations, muhdafat, newly introduced things into the religion. And so irrespective of whether it is an ignorant person or it is a person who follows his desires, the shaykh says it is obligatory upon the ummah, the Muslim nation, to warn in the severest way with every, every way possible from anyone who deviates from the path of the prophets and messengers, which is the call to tawheed and all of the obligatory and recommended acts of obedience and you know to to uh, you know to and likewise the one who uh, he doesn't warn the people from uh, that which is evil for them which is shirk so in other words in, in essence what the shirk is saying that any person whether he is an ignoramus he's ignorant he just does not know the methodology of the prophets in calling to allah manhajul anbiya he doesn't know. Or he is a person of desires. right? He has chosen misguidance and he's opposing the way of the messenger in this means and method of, of da'wah, irrespective whether it's this one or whether it's that one. That which is obligatory upon the Muslim nation, the, the, the scholars, and, and is to warn from these people, from the likes of these people. And we'll explain why, inshallah, shortly. From the likes of these people. These people who do not rectify the people through Tawheed as a foundation, nor do they warn them from shirk and you know innovations and things of that nature. <clears throat> so as you can see, the Shaykh here is explaining and touching upon uh, the methodology of da'wah, the methodology of calling to Allah. And this is something that this Muslim nation has been put to trial with, especially in the 20th and the 21st centuries, the whole issue of rectifying the ummah, calling the people to the sound, authentic Islam, rectifying uh, the society and removing ills from the society. Uh, many, many trials and tribulations have entered into the Muslim nation because of the presence of groups and parties who have deviated from the methodology of the prophets in rectifying the servant and the land. And so, although there are many things that can be mentioned here, I'll, I'll mention a few uh, important points. To give you an illustration, the Sheikh mentioned that the first thing that the prophets called to is Tawheed, which is the Kalima La ilaha illallah and explaining its true meaning to the people, teaching it to the hearts, rectifying the hearts. However, historically speaking, up, up until this day of ours, we see that we are in a situation when the Muslims do not even, they, they are not even agreed upon the meaning of the kalima la ilaha illallah. So, if we are calling to Allah, and we are calling to Tawheed as the foundation. And then we have 
you know, one person over here who thinks Tawheed means such and such, and another person over here who thinks Tawheed means such and such, and a third one who thinks Tawheed means such and such. You know, we, you know, we have all of these different understandings or misunderstandings of Tawheed. Then how can, how, how do we know? How can we know who or what is calling with the call of the messengers? So I'll give you some illustrations. For example, there's a, there's a Tawheed, which is the Tawheed, which is present among the Muslims, which is, which is the Tawheed of the philosophers, the philosopher, Tawheed al-Falasifa. Right? This, this is something which happened historically many, many centuries ago. And these ideas crept into the Muslim nation. And they remained within the Muslim nation because when they first came in, some other people took them, then they modified them, then some other people took them from them. And then they became schools of thought. And then that was transmitted in the Muslim nation. And there's never ceased to be people upon that and supporting that and calling to that. So, Tawheed of the philosophers. What is, it, what, what is this in a nutshell? It's basically to claim and to, and, 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 and to believe that the meaning of Tawheed is just the idea of oneness in the mind. That's Tawheed. Right? So the only thing you think of is Allah being one and you are not allowed to add any other meaning to that basic notion. If you think of any other meaning, this now is no longer, no longer Tawheed. Right? So if you think Allah, the one who is merciful, you've now added another meaning. This now has corrupted Tawheed. Or if you think Allah, the mighty, the powerful, Al-Qadir, this is not Tawheed. Right? There can be no other meaning except for the pure idea of oneness. Just think of oneness. Just think of the idea of one. That's it. And really, what this really means is that Allah is only a figment of your imagination. He exists only in your mind. Right? Because it is impossible for anything to exist except that it must have one attribute. It must have one attribute, right? So for example, there's this thing and it has the attribute of existence. It exists. Do you understand, right? So what, what these people were trying to say is that this is, this is really what is Tawheed, right? And so this notion of Tawheed is present. There are people who will speak with this. There are people who will call to this, right? This is the Tawheed of the philosopher. So if we want to now rectify the society, which Tawheed are we going to rectify the society with? Is it the Tawheed of the messengers? Or is it this Tawheed, which really is just pure atheism? Because all it's saying is that uh, the existence of Allah is in the mind only. Because you know, you're not allowed to affirm any other attribute for Allah apart from just that notion of just oneness. It's, it's abstract. right? It exists in the mind only. Right? So... Which Tawheed is this Tawheed? Likewise, we have the Tawheed of the Jahmiyyah. Tawheed of the Jahmiyyah. They, they took this basic idea from the philosophers. And so they basically said that Allah has no names, Allah has no attributes, Allah has no actions, 
and so denied all his names, all his, and so basically they were just mimicking uh, the philosopher. They brought this into the Muslim nation. This is the Tawheed of the Jahmiyyah. So do we now go and is this the Tawheed that we rectify the society with? We tell them that, you know, uh, Allah is not Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, Al-Malik Al-Quddus, Al-Salam. He does not have wisdom, he does not have mercy, he does not have hearing, does not have sight. And this is what is Tawheed? No, we, you know, we are, what we are doing here is we are, we are uh, preventing the hearts from, from knowledge of Allah by doing this. We are hindering people from Allah if this is the idea of Tawheed. Right? So, we can't, you know, is this how we rectify the society? No. And now we have the Tawheed of the Mu'tazila. Tawheed of the Mu'tazila. What is the Tawheed of the Mu'tazila? It's very similar to that of the philosophers. And, you know, uh, they say, if you, if, you, if you say there is Allah and He has Rahmah, this now is composition, is tarkib. You've now made Allah to be composite. Right? And what they are doing is they are confusing between what occurs in the mind and what exists outwardly. Right? So it's very simple. If I said to you that there's a man called Abdullah, a man called Abdullah, and Abdullah is, you know, he is tall and he is a builder. And he is generous. I've just given three attributes. Does this now mean that there are three Abdullahs? Of course not. The different attributes that we separate out, that, that occurs in the mind. But we only have one essence. One essence with many attributes. This is how, you know, this is composition in the sense, in the mind only, of different meanings. But it doesn't mean that we have, you know... So this is a misconception of the Mu'tazila. And so they basically said, Tawheed is to deny all attributes from Allah. To deny all attributes. We can't say Allah has any attributes. So do we now go and teach the people, this is the Tawheed of the messengers? And we, How can we rectify the people with this? Right? And then there is also the Tawheed of the Sufiya. Tawheed of the Sufis. This itself has maybe two different manifestations. Some of them say Tawheed is to believe that there is no creator except Allah. La khaliqa illallah. Right? There's no creator except Allah. This Tawheed, in fact, as the Shaykh will mention, because he talks about these groups, this is the Tawheed of the pagans of Mecca, of Quraysh, of Abu Jahl. And people like that. Because they, they, they believe that Allah is the creator, the provider, the sustainer. They never denied this. And this is in the, uh, very clear and explicit in the Quran. That if you were to ask them, O oh Muhammad, who created the heavens and the earth? Allah. They will say it was Allah. Right? They affirmed all these things. Allah is the creator of the heavens and the earth. Allah created them. Allah... Uh, sends down the rain. Allah is the mudabbir. He regulates all of the affairs. They affirmed all of these affairs of Allah's rububiyyah. That Allah is the Lord, the creator, the provider, the sustainer, the, the controller, the regulator, and so on and so forth. They never denied this. So for someone to come along and say that Tawheed is for a Muslim to believe 
There's no creator besides Allah. There's no provider besides Allah. There's no controller besides Allah. There is no owner besides Allah. This person hasn't gone beyond what Abu Jahl was upon and the pagans of Quraysh were upon. Right? So to explain the kalima la ilaha illallah to mean the belief that there is no creator except Allah, no provider except Allah, this is not the tawheed of the messengers. But this is what you find many of the Sufis teaching the people that tawheed is just the belief in Allah being the creator. This is completely false. How can we rectify people upon this deficient, incorrect notion of tawheed? And also among them, Tawheed of the Sufis, the extremists among them, they say Tawheed is that the only existence <coughs> is Allah's existence. Meaning that nothing exists except Allah. Everything in existence is Allah. And this is Wahdatul Wujud, the doctrine of the unity of existence. Meaning everything is one, it is inseparable. There's no such thing as a creator and the created. There's no such thing. If you say there is the creator and the created, according to them, you have committed shirk. This is shirk according to them. Why? Because you have claimed that there is an existence alongside Allah's existence. See the twisted way of thinking, right? This is the completely reversed everything. So Tawheed is to believe there's only one unified existence. Everything is inseparable, which means that this pillar is Allah and this bottle is Allah and all the animals are Allah and the, the brick is Allah and everything in existence is Allah. There's only Allah, nothing else. And so therefore, what does this mean at the same time? It also means that every religion is automatically correct and true. Because it means that whatever is worshipped, it's Allah being worshipped. So if you worship the idol, you are worshipping Allah. If you are worshipping Isa ibn Maryam, you are worshipping Allah. If you worship the pig or the monkey or the, the elephant, you know, with, with ten ears and two trunks, you know, this is, this is Allah. Right? This is, this, this is, the, this is the, the, the consequence of this doctrine. The unity of existence leads to the unity of religions. All religions are automatically true and correct. So is this the Tawheed? Is this the meaning of the Kalima La ilaha illallah that we want to rectify the society with? There are people who believe this. Among the Muslims they ascribe to Islam. They, they believe this. Is this the meaning of the Kalima La ilaha illallah? There is also the Tawheed of the Jabariyyah. Tawheed of the Jabariya. They say, La fa'ila illallah. La fa'ila illallah. There is no doer except Allah. What they are trying to do is they are trying to say that all power, I mean, in a way it's true, but there's a misunderstanding. They are saying that if we give anything other than Allah the attribute of power, or we affirm for them something of power, We've committed shirk with Allah, right? And so what they are saying is all actions are done by Allah. Allah is the true doer of all actions. So in other words, what they're trying to do is they're trying to take away from 
us, for example, Allah has given us qudra. Allah has given us ability. Right? Through that ability do we do things. Right? So yes, we do have a power. But it's given to us by Allah. What they're trying to do is they're trying to give power only to Allah so that the only one acting or doing anything is Allah. So that means that when you commit a sin, it is Allah the one who is doing that. Right? When you commit shirk, it is Allah. So in other words, they are saying there is only one doer. It is Allah. Allah is the doer of everything. But this is not true. What they should say is, Allah is the creator of everything. Allah is the creator of our actions. Because he created our bodies. He created our limbs. He gave us the power, the ability. So when we act, Allah is the one who created that act. But we are the ones who do the act. You understand? When you pray, it is not Allah that's praying. You are praying, but Allah created that action of yours. Right? So what, what, what they are saying is, there's only one doer. It is Allah who is the doer of everything. This is not correct. You have to distinguish between Allah creating the actions of the servants and we doing the actual actions. We are the doers of our actions, right? Mankind, they worship, they commit shirk, they commit disobedience. They are the doers of the actions. Allah is the creator of the actions, right? So, you know, they, they, they have reasons why they say that. So, again, once more, is this the tawheed that we call the people to upon this misunderstanding? And finally, there's also the tawheed of the khawarij. Tawheed of the khawarij. La hakima illallah. They say the meaning of tawheed is that there is no ruler or judge except Allah. This is the essence of the deen of Islam. And, you know, if you give anyone else the right to judge in an issue, then you have committed shirk. These people, uh, their seeds were present in the time of the Messenger Wasallam, and then they appeared in the time of Ali radiallahu anhu, and uh, Ibn Abbas was sent by Ali to debate them, and to, you know, uh, establish the proof against them. And Ibn Abbas mentioned many uh, uh, arguments from the Quran to demolish their misconception, you know, he said that in the Sharia, when a man and a woman who are married have a dispute, Allah said, take an arbitrator from her side of the family, an arbitrator from his side of the family, and let them resolve the issue. So Allah allowed the issue to be resolved and to be judged in by, by men. And there are other examples that, like that as well. And so they, you know, they, 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 they had this misconception. But, but basically the essence of their saying is that if... There's any sin or disobedience or injustice from the ruler and the ruler doesn't apply, meaning he falls short in certain things. It means the whole of Islam does not exist. Islam is non-existent. And so therefore we have to remove the rulers, we have to topple them and re-establish Islam so Islam can once more be present again. This is the way of thinking of the very first Khawarij. And it's the way of thinking of the 20th century revival of the Khawarij as well. They said exactly the same thing. 
that the Muslim Ummah no longer exists. It, it was finished many, many centuries ago. Islam ended many, many centuries ago. And today we are living in, in a jahiliyyah, like the pre, pre-Islamic times of ignorance. And we need to re-establish Islam once more. And how do we do this? We do it by toppling the rulers, revolutions, coups, assassinations, you know. Um, and, and this is their understanding of what Islam is. This is, this is the Islam that they call to. So the point being, coming back to, you know, uh, if the call of the prophets and messengers, the foundation of that call was tawheed, to single out Allah in worship, and to warn from, from shirk. And that's the basis upon which we rectify the society and make da'wah to Allah. Then, how, how can the Muslim nation today, when we see, <coughs> when we can't even agree upon the ma'na, the meaning of la ilaha illallah, and we have all these heretical notions of tawheed, which are present amongst the Muslims, and there are people who, you know, they call to these things and they, uh, they promote these things and they call to these things. So the Sheikh says that, he once again mentions the uh, statement of the Messenger of Allah, that it was the duty upon every Prophet, that he directs his nation to whatever good he knew for them, and to warn them from whatever evil he knows you know, for them. So the Shaykh says, every person who calls to Allah upon Basira, then he is following the methodology of the Prophets. And every ignorant person or a person of desires, then he does not follow the methodology of of the prophets, the last of them being the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Then the Shaykh goes on to mention a number of categories just by way of illustration and example. Uh, the first type he mentions here uh, is he says, from those people who are from the ignorant people are the qassas. These are the, the storytellers. These are the people who tell stories, right? And what they do is they play with the people's hearts, they play with the people's uh, emotions, they uh, base their call upon you know, emotional stories or long-winded stories. These are often uh, lies or fabricated hadiths or whatever it might be. And so what they are trying to do is they're trying to just really uh, soften the people's hearts by using uh, rhetoric and emotion and, and often... Uh, they will, um, you know, uh, they're trying to stir the people's hearts but by stories and emotions, right? And it's all ignorance. There's no real knowledge. There's no real correction taking place. It's just stirring people's emotions. The Sheikh says that the hearts of the people are most in need of what will tie them to their Prophet wasallam, to the message of the Prophet wasallam, And what he came with, in terms of commands and prohibitions and information. That's what you should be tying them to. What is the greatest thing Allah commanded? What is the greatest thing Allah prohibited? Right? What is, um, you know, instead of tying them or stirring them with stories and, you know, emotional stories and things which have no basis, 
And it's known from the companions such as Ibn Umar radiyallahu anhu and others and the tabi'een as well that whenever they heard a storyteller standing in front of the people then they would, they would uh, stand and they would leave the masjid. Right? So you have these storytellers present today. Right? Just to give a quick example, in Egypt there's a man called Amr Khalid and you know, he comes on stage and he tells uh, tear-jerking stories, you know, bring, brings uh, tears to your eyes. And uh, it's all just stories, stories, stirring people's emotions. And once you stir people's emotions, you can then direct them to whichever direction you want because it's, it's emotion that they are really uh, focused upon. Right? Not, not knowledge. So when you stir people's emotions, you can uh, direct them to whichever direction <coughs> you want. And uh, this, used to, uh, this used to be uh, present, as, as we've seen in the time of the Salaf, and they used to abandon such people. Uh, the way of the prophets and messengers was to call the people to single out Allah in worship according to the Quran and to the Sunnah. And this is why they give the correct and true uh, understanding and explanation of the kalima la ilaha illallah. What is its true, what is its true meaning? Its true meaning is there is none which has the right to be worshipped except Allah. This is the Tawheed of the messengers. There is none which has the right to be worshipped except Allah. This is one way to explain it. Another way to explain it is none is worshipped in truth except Allah. Right? There's a two, two meanings here. Let's, let's explain each one. First one, none has the right to be worshipped except Allah. Meaning none deserves to be worshipped except Allah. Why? Because Allah is the Rabb, is the creator, the provider, the sustainer, the creator of all that you see observe, experience, benefit from on a day-to-day -day basis. He's the creator of all of that. right? And so therefore, he alone deserves to be worshipped. This is one meaning of La ilaha illallah. And the other way to explain it is none is worshipped in truth except Allah. Meaning that the worship of everything else besides Allah is futile and false. It is false. It is false worship because it is based upon futility. It is based upon injustice. Right? So the worship, only the worship of Allah is true and just. And the worship of everything else is false and unjust. Right? So this is the meaning of, of the kalima la ilaha. This is the tawheed of the messengers. None has the right to be worshipped except Allah and None is worshipped in truth except Allah. So this is what the prophets and messengers, this is what they called the people to. This is what they uh, based their call upon. And, uh, and so this is the meaning of La ilaha illallah. There is no other meaning besides this. From here the Shaykh now is going to give us uh, two examples of two groups or two parties present in the 20th and 21st century who have deviated from this methodology and the first of these groups the sheikh says that 
there are two interpretations of La ilaha illallah which is present in our time. The first of them is an interpretation given by which came from India and its founder is Muhammad Ilyas Al-Kandalawi and he is as you may know the founder of the sect of Jama'atul Tabligh. Right? This is a group uh, who um, was established in the uh, early 20th century and their interpretation of La ilaha illallah as we mentioned earlier it is no different to the understanding of Abu Jahl and the pagans of Quraysh because they believed and accepted that there's only one creator, there's only one provider, there's only one sustainer, there's only one, um, one who gives life, who takes life, right? So the pagans of Quraysh, they were not in dispute about this. They believed all of this. Allah is the creator, provider, sustainer, giver of life, taker of life. Well, this wasn't in dispute. So therefore, if you come along and you say that the meaning of La ilaha illallah means there's no creator but Allah, there's no provider but Allah, there's no sustainer but Allah, then what you have presented is no different to what the pagans and polytheists of Quraysh already affirmed. Right? So this cannot be the Tawheed that the messengers call to. And so this group, they, if you read in their books, this is the meaning of the kalima la ilaha illallah that they go out and they teach the people. So how can you, how can you claim that you are doing tabligh? You are conveying the message of the prophets. And then when you go to the people and to the houses and, and the books that you teach from or that you have in your masajid, and you teach the people wrong. And you tell them, you open the book and he says, La ilaha illallah, there is no creator besides Allah. How can this be tawheed? How can you how can you have taught them something beyond what the polytheists of Quraysh, the pagans of Quraysh, even they accepted and, and affirmed this? You haven't taught them anything. Now, this is not the tawheed of the messengers. So the shaykh goes on uh, to, to uh, explain that this tawheed of lordship of Allah being the Lord, this is something that Abu Jahl, Abu Jahl from the heads of the pagans of Quraysh, he and his likes they affirmed all of this, and it's it's in the Quran in many many verses. Wala in saaltahum, man khalaq al-samawati wal-ard la yaqulun Allah. If you were to ask them, O Muhammad, these pagans, who created the heavens and the earth, they will surely say it was Allah. And likewise, if you were to ask them, Man khalaqahum, who created them? They will surely say Allah. Right? And many, many of the verses which are similar to this. So, this jama'a or this group, the Shaykh says, has many, many followers. They are in many, many places. They are in, you know, they travel to many places. They are in Mecca, they are in Medina. And they... Um, you know, they, they have many, many different um, kind of ways that they approach the people. And uh, um, the Sheikh goes on to say that their Tawheed is not the Tawheed 
of the prophets and messengers, rather it is the Tawheed of Abu Jahl and his likes. And Abu Jahl and his likes, they were, the, they, were, they were people who the Prophet fought against because they rejected the actual Tawheed, which is to single out Allah in worship. So this is one false interpretation of the word La ilaha illallah. The second the Shaykh goes on to mention, at <coughs> Tafsir al-Thani, is the one that we mentioned earlier. This is the Tawheed of the Khawarij, of the extremists, of the terrorists, right? La hakima illallah. There is no judge or ruler except Allah. Now this is a true meaning, it's true. There is no ruler or judge except Allah. But what they've taken is they've taken one meaning of the many meanings of Tawheed and isolated it and then created a whole political call around that one thing. It's possible for us to do the same thing over and over and over again. For example, one person can come along and say, Allah is uh, Ar-Razaq, He is Raziq, He is the provider. So why don't we, just to emphasize, why don't we say there's something called Tawheed Ar-Raziqiyya. Just like this Tawheed Al-Hakimiyya. Right? What's stopping you from doing that? Because you can do that with, with all of the meanings of Tawheed. Right? But we know that Tawheed, all of these meanings, they enter into Tawheed Ar-Rububiyya or Tawheed Al-Asma'i Wa-Sifat or Tawheed Al-Uluhiyya. Everything is included and comprised within these uh, types of Tawheed. There's no need to now, you know, take every meaning, separate it out and then use it as a basis, you know, to, to create a call or to create a movement. But this is what these people do. And so um, there's a particular group that you, I'm sure you've all heard of, the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, Al-Ikhwan, Al-Muslimun. And they are the ones who revived this incorrect understanding of Tawheed in the 20th century. And uh, the Sheikh says that this is a political jama'ah. And their aim is simply, or they have an ambition. The ambition is to arrive at political leadership. This is what they are interested in, political leadership. And in order to do so, in order to do so, they have this doctrine, they have this idea that the meaning of La ilaha illallah is there is no ruler nor judge except Allah. And then what they do is they make takfir, they declare all contemporary Muslim rulers to be disbelievers, to be outside the fold of Islam. And then they say that the, it is an obligation for everybody to restore the rule of Islam, right? And so to this end, they engage in political work and they basically draw in every person, no matter what doctrine he's upon, no matter what belief he's upon, no matter what creed he's upon, they want to gather everybody into one big mass, one big mass, and then they'll do, you know, different things based upon what's the most... Um, expedient, what's the most, you know, the, the, the best thing to do. So for example, uh, you could either in, encourage the people to engage in a revolution, which you need large numbers, a revolution. That's one way you can then direct the masses. 
Or you can basically direct the people to go into democracy and parliaments and voting and, and let them vote you in where there is democracy, right? So these people, their aim is simply to gain political power, that's it. And this idea of la ilaha illallah, meaning there is no ruler or judge except Allah, is just simply a kind of doctrine or ideology that they use in order to gather the people together, right? Behind some sort of cause or some sort of movement. And then they will, you know, uh, either lead them into a revolution or a, you know, engage in democracy uh, because the ultimate goal is only to uh, get power. And then they have a principle that they use in order to unite the people together. And this really, this principle is really a Freemasonic principle in its origin. This principle has its origins in, in Freemasonry. And what the principle says is that let us unite in that which we agree and let us overlook each other in that which we disagree. Right? Let us unite in that which we agree and let us overlook each other in that which we disagree. Right? This is a principle that these types of political groups use in order to gather everybody together under one umbrella. Why? Because they need the numbers in order, in order to help them to get into political power. So they do not care whether you are uh, a Jahmi, a Mu'tazili, a Rafidi, a Sufi, uh, whatever you might be, no matter what doctrine you're upon, right? They will say to you, the most basic thing that we agree upon is the statement La ilaha illallah. So whoever says La ilaha illallah, we can all agree upon that one thing. And as for all of our differences, the things that we differ about, whatever, we can ignore them. Let's overlook, you know, let's pardon. The, you believe Allah has no attributes. Let's overlook that. You believe that all the companions became apostates and left Islam. Let's overlook that. Right? Let's, all the differences we have, ignore all the differences. We all say one thing, La ilaha illallah. Let's unite on that one word, not its meaning, just on the word, on, on the utterance of the word. And, you know, this is what this principle basically, this is what this principle means, right? Which is the principle of the Muslim Brotherhood. Let us cooperate and come together in that which we agree, and let us pardon each other from that which we, you know, in that which we disagree. And as the Muslim scholars have explained, this principle in its origin, it goes back to Freemasonry, because free, in Freemasonry, you can be of any creed, you can be of any background, any doctrine, any religion, but you can come under the umbrella of, of Freemasonry. Right? And Freemasonry is just simply a cover and a veil for, for, for the worship of Iblis. That's all it is, the different hierarchies and levels. And um, that's all it is. And so... In the 20th century is when we saw these so-called Muslim jama'at jama'at appear, jama'at of da'wah. And so they took the meaning of the word jama'ah from its true meaning and they altered it into something else. Right? So the word jama'ah, Islamically speaking, 
as Ibn Mas'ud said, Al-Jama'atu ma wafaq al-haq wa in kunta wahdak. The jama'a is whatever agrees with the truth. Is whatever agrees with the truth. Even if you are one person, even if you are one person, this is the meaning of jama'a. Jama'a means people who are upon what the messenger brought in terms of creed, in terms of belief, in terms of methodology. Right? This is the jama'a and who is united behind you know, a, a leadership or a rulership, the, the Muslim uh, rulership or leadership. Right? And they hear and obey the ruler. So if all of that is together, that is the jama'a. And even if you are one person who is upon the truth that the messenger and his companions were upon, you are the jama'a. Right? So this is the, the correct meaning of the word jama'a. Right. In the 20th century, what these groups did is they took the word jama'a and they turned it to mean a political party, a political group, right? And they gave the head of that party the same rights that Allah has given to a Muslim ruler, right? So a Muslim ruler has like the Pledge of Allegiance and we hear and obey and whatever is not disobedience to Allah, right? So they took these qualities that Allah gave to the Muslim ruler and then they conferred it to each individual, you know, leader of, of these various groups and parties. And so now you become loyal to the party, you become loyal to the group, right? So this is what happened in the 20th uh, century. And to this end, they've altered the meaning of La ilaha illallah, the meaning of Tawheed. And um, uh, this is, you know, particularly among the, the Muslim Brotherhood. And Hizbut Tahrir is another offshoot of the Muslim Brotherhood. And then you have the more extreme, you know, Al Qaeda and, and, and the, the, the extremist types of groups that then come uh, after that. So the Sheikh, after, you know, elaborating some more, upon the, the founder of this group, Hassan al-Banna. He was an individual that he would go to, uh, you know, in, in, in his uh, party, he would have Christians. Even he, he would have three, three Christians in his um, majlis, right, in his committee. This is his meaning of let us come together in that which we agree and let us pardon each other in that which we disagree. Right. So to a Christian, it would be, well, you are a Christian. You believe in a God. We believe in a God. Let's agree upon that. And as for everything else, you say Jesus is the son of God. OK, we can we can accommodate each other on this. Right? This is this is the implementation of this principle. And likewise to the to the Rafidi, you say la ilaha illallah. We say la ilaha illallah. This is all there is to Islam, the common denominator. And as for everything else, you say, you know, Ali should have been the recipient of revelation and the companions became disbelievers. We can agree to disagree and we can accommodate all of this. This is the implementation of this principle. This is an evil, filthy, vile principle. Um, this principle, if you think about it, many, many centuries back, we would know a group or a sect by way of the specific doctrine, right? So, for example, in the time of the Salaf, they're the Jahmiyyah, right? This is Jahm bin Safwan and his followers, they're the Jahmiyyah. 
They the Mu'tazila, that's, you know, uh, Wasil bin Atta and Amr bin Ubaid, who are the heads of the Mu'tazila, that's them, they're the Mu'tazila, right? So we, so we know individuals by way of the creed that they are upon. Very, very simple. Jahmiya, Mu'tazila, Hishamiya, Kullabiya, Karrami, very simple. However, in the modern era, in the 20th century, things have become very, very, very confusing. Why? Because we are in the era of where the jama'at have appeared, right? And the jama'ah takes a name or a label. So, you know, anyone can come along and say, we are, we are jama'atul da'wah. Or we are al-ikhwanul muslimun. Or we are jama'atul tabliq. Or we are, you know, whatever name you want to think of. And under, so, so you no longer see the actual individual creeds. All you see is a group. But well, that group have, will have within it all of those individual innovations and doctrines in which an average Muslim, a common Muslim, he won't know any better. As a group comes along and he says, oh, you know, we, we are jama'atul da'wah, well, you know, well, islah, well, this, well, that, whatever. And they, you know, claiming to, to be uh, calling to Allah and a person won't be any the wiser. What are these people upon? What doctrines are, are, are they upon? Who are they following? Right, And so all of this has compounded, made it more difficult for us to see what people are upon. However, for the person of the Sunnah, the person who is a person of Tawheed, person of Sunnah, person who follows the way of, of the Salaf, it's very, very easy for him to see who's who and what's what. Because we know by virtue of the creed that we learn, and the understanding of the Salaf in all of these topics, what's the way of the Salaf? In the issue of Allah's Tawheed, in His names, in His attributes, in the issue of Al-Qadr, in the issue of Al-Iman, in the issue of how do we uh, treat the, the companions, how do we uh, treat and behave with the rulers, how do we... Because we know all these things, we can immediately see and recognize a person, what he's upon from his speech. From his statement, from his behavior, from his da'wah, from the way that he's calling the people. Is he really rectifying the people? Is he really calling to the tawheed of the messengers? So, you know, this is uh, something that we should, uh, we should be, we should be uh, aware of. So anyhow, the Sheikh speaks a bit more about uh, the, the two groups that Al-Ikhwan Al-Muslimun, they came from Egypt and Jama'atul Tabliq, they came from India. And uh, uh, these people, what they do, they have a system of recruitment whereby you join their groups and their ranks and they'll monitor you and watch you for many, many years. And if you show potential and if you show aptitude and potential, then they will, you know, uh, draw you through the ranks and then you will become a prominent person and then you'll continue their work for them. And, uh, you know, this is, this is how, how these groups work. Uh, they have pledge of allegiance, they have loyalty and they also have secrecy. Uh, there's no secrecy in Islam. Islam is very open and very apparent. So anyhow, the Sheikh uh, closes on this note and he says that all of these groups you see, they are founded by individuals. You'll trace it back to an individual. This is true historically. It is true today. Right? Uh, you know, the, the Qadariya. Who were the Qadariya who appeared? We can trace them back to individuals. Al-Ma'bad al-Juhani and people like that. And likewise the Mu'tazila and the Jahmiyyah, Al-Ja'ad bin Dirham, Jahan bin Safwan, 
right? Karamiya, all of these people. And today, likewise, there are individuals who are the founders, Muhammad Ilyas, Hassan al-Banna, Sayyid Qutb, Taqyuddin al-Nabahani, right? All of them, they have movements and groups set up behind them. Whereas the people who follow the way of the messenger and the way of the Salaf, there is no founder. There is no founder. Why? Because it is the deen of Allah Azza wa Jal. We are following the deen of Allah Azza wa Jal. And um, they, they do not have an individual where they trace their, their, their beliefs. Or, no, because this is revelation from Allah Azza wa Jal. Uh, and so this is the way of the people who follow the way of, of the Salaf. It is the deen from Allah Azza wa Jal. And he sent his messenger with it. And he revealed the books, his books by way of it. And those who are the followers of the prophets and messengers, they are the du'at and the mujaddideen. They are the callers and they are the true revivers of the religion. So this is the end of what uh, the Shaykh Hafizahullah Ta'ala has mentioned on this uh, topic. And uh, what, what time is Maghrib? The prayer for Maghrib? Adhan for Maghrib? 11 past. 11 past. Okay, we have, we have uh, still 20 minutes or so. So, so this is what the Sheikh finished upon, and um, <coughs> it's a very, very important uh, topic. It's to do with uh, Muslim unity. It's to do with the methodology of calling to Allah. How do we rectify the society? How do we rectify the Ummah? How do we uh, bring the hearts together? And in fact, I wanted to. Uh, give uh, in fact this methodology that we spoke of is what the messenger of Allah Sallam himself was ordered to say in the Quran قُلْ هَذِهِ سَبِيلِ قُلْ هَذِهِ سَبِيلِ أَدْعُوا إِلَى اللَّهِ عَلَى بَسِيرَةٍ أَنَا وَمَنِ اتَّبَعَنِي say Allah ordered the messenger, messenger to say say this is my path this is at the end of Surah Yusuf. I think it's verse 106. Say, this is my way. قُلْ هَذِهِ سَبِيلِي أَدْعُوا إِلَى اللَّهِ I call to Allah عَلَى بَصِيرَةٍ Upon insight and knowledge. I and whoever follows me. I and whoever follows me. Right? And likewise, Allah Zawajal, He also said in Surah Ali Imran, Hold on to the rope of Allah, all of you together. Hold on to the rope of Allah, all of you together. And do not, do not split, do not be divided. And remember the favor of Allah upon you when you were enemies and then he softened and united your hearts. He brought your hearts together and you became by way of Allah's favor and bounty brethren. Right. So in all of these verses, you can see the methodology of the prophets in calling the people to Allah, in rectifying the servant, in rectifying the land, and in calling to the true unity, the 
true unity, the genuine unity. Because there's lots of speech today, these days, people speaking about unity and Muslim unity. And, you know, there's a difference between the true unity and a superficial, fake, shallow unity. Right? I'm going to give you, I was meant to give you an example. In fact, this actually will help to tie together some of the things that I mentioned. So have with me, brought with me today uh, a rope. You can see a rope here, right? And this is an intact rope. You've got different strands and you can see it's sealed at the end. It won't come undone, right? And so this rope, when it's intact and you hold on to the rope, then you have a strong handhold, right? right so this is what, we, what we've been commanded to do. Hold on to the rope of Allah. Right, so this is we first of all know what the rope is, and we call people to hold on to this rope. Right, this is true unity, it's unity that brings unity of the hearts that then leads to the unity of the bodies. Right, it's unity of the hearts first, then the unity of the bodies follows afterwards. That's how it is, that's what, what that's the meaning of the verse, as Allah mentioned in, the, in that verse. That the companions were divided, they were all split. Allah brought their hearts together. Upon what? Upon Tawheed, upon the correct creed. And then they became brethren. Then there was the unity of the bodies. Right, okay. So this is the intact Islam. This is the Islam intact. There's no phrase, there's no splitting, there's, there's nothing. It's not gonna, it's just not gonna split. You see? So when you hold on to that, you are holding on to all of Islam. However, when there occurred in the Muslim nation, what occurred in the Muslim nation, first of all, the Khawarij appeared. Then the Rafida, Shia. Then the Qadariya. Then the Murji'a. Then the Jahmiya. Then the Mu'tazila. Then the Rafidi Hishamiya. Then the you know, uh, Batini movements appeared, and then the Kullabiya, and then the Karramiya, and then the Ash'ariya, and then the Maturidiya, and then the Salimiya, uh, uh, so on and so forth, whatever. So what, what's really happening here is, so the rope of Allah, well, you have this strand like this now, and then you have this strand here, then you have this strand here like this. Then these strands, they split amongst themselves. So you have the Ahlul Kalam, or you have the Jahmi here, disputing with the Mu'tazili here, Disputing with the Kullabi here, disputing with the, you know, Ash'ari here, right? And so we have all of these strands. Da, 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 and as you go through the century, you have every Tom, Dick and Harry with a doctrine, with a, with a, with a creed, with a movement, with a, you know, uh, all, ba all based upon a deviation in creed and methodology, right? So this is, this is what you have. Every one person holding on to this strand here. You know, he takes something of the truth and splits it from the truth and then gives it a different interpretation. He turns it into an issue of creed and then he calls people around it and now he's got, we've got someone holding on to this and we've got another one holding on to this and another holding on to this. Right? Is this, is this the rope of Allah we've been commanded to hold? This, this thing here? Yes? No. no. Right. So when someone comes along and he says, he says, you stick to that thing you stick to that thing, and you stick to that thing, and you stick to that thing, 
Is this the unity that Allah and His Messenger called to in the Quran and the Sunnah? Is this the unity? Is this the unity we've been commanded with? Yes or no? It can't be, can it? Right? That's why the true unity is only when we first agree, agree that this is the actual intact rope. This is the nature of the intact rope, right? So this person here has to abandon his, his false creed, right? So this is why it is impossible for there to be unity except upon the way of the Salaf, right? Except upon uh, knowledge by which we know what is Tawheed and Sunnah from what is Shirk and Bid'ah. Right? We have to know these statements. We have to know what's what. This statement, this person or this group is saying, is it, is it really from, from, the, you know, from the intact rope? Or is it, is it, we, have to, we have to resolve this issue first before we can even start speaking about unity. Do you understand? It's like, I'll give you another example to illustrate. Imagine there's a house and, well, there isn't a house, but there's foundations in the ground. And the foundations have cracks. There's a crack in that direction, and there's a crack in this direction. There's a huge gap and a crack in this direction, and a huge crack in that direction. So someone comes along and says, you know what? We, want to, we just want to build a house. Let's forget the foundations and the cracks. It doesn't really matter. It's just going to cause splits and differences between us. Let's just build a house on top of this. Which, which, which sane builder does that? Now, this person is a fool who does that, right? And this is the same similitude. The people who want to unite with true unity, which is the unity of the hearts, unity in creed, as a result of which the bodies will become united, they are the followers of the prophets and messengers who follow the way of the Salaf. And as for all these other people, you hear them, you know, uh, they have all these slogans, they have all these labels, and it's all emotion, it's all emotional. Right? They see calamities taking place in the Muslim nation. They see war. They see poverty. They see injustice. They see displacement of whole populations. Right? And they, they become affected emotionally by this. And they want to do something to help the ummah as, you know. But you cannot, you cannot call to Allah, you cannot rectify if it's built just on our emotions and sincerity. It has to be upon knowledge has to be upon ilm has to be upon basira upon insight so these people with you know affected by their emotions then they they start brandishing these slogans about you know unity and a united ummah and a one ummah and this and whatever and the whole focus is just bringing bodies together i said bodies not hearts bring bodies together Right? So they're not, they're not interested whether this one, oh, this, this one's a Jahmi, this one's a Khariji, this one's a Takfiri, this one's a this one, Hizbi. Not bothered. They say, oh, no, no, this, this, this is just, um, you know, it, it diverts from what, what is more important. Not realizing that the very calamities and the hardships that they are complaining about are caused by the very innovations and misguidance that they want to ignore and throw under the carpet. Right? So this is not unity what they're calling to. This is just emotions that they are, that they are following. And they have a very superficial 
you know, uh, understanding of, of these affairs. And so this is why we say again that it is impossible for there to be unity and rectification except by uniting upon the way of the Salaf. And indeed, Imam Malik, rahimahullah, himself, he said, you know, uh, the latter part of this ummah will not be rectified except by that which rectified the earlier part of this ummah. Right? So, inshallah, we, we finish and close on that note uh, with today's uh, reminder, today's lesson. And uh, in the next uh, series, the Sheikh has a series where he basically explains, you know, uh, lots of similar narrations, uh, explaining issues of methodology. So, inshallah, uh, it will be kind of related to, to this topic today. It'll be like an elaboration of this topic. So, with that, we'll conclude today's lesson. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu ala Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.